Good evening. And if you would turn tonight to Joel 2, we continue on with our study with this minor prophet. Joel 2, we're going to see tonight in verses 28 and 29, the coming Holy Spirit. Joel 2, 28 and 29. In her book, Counterfeit Kingdom, Holly Pivick wrote of an, uh, an ex- a strange experience she had visiting Bethel Church in Redding, California. And while attending a Sunday school class, she writes how the teacher began the class saying there are only three rules in this class. The teacher began, rule one, get drunk. Rule two, stay drunk. Rule three, get other people drunk. (laughs) I mean, that's hard to believe. He would be so absurd to say that, so irreverent. She writes, I was smack dab in the middle of Bethel Church's fire starters class, a 12-week course designed to create modern-day revivalists. And she continues, once everyone was seated at the tables, the teacher set forth his drinking rules. This elicited cheers from the students. I knew that the plan was to, quote, get drunk, from the Holy Spirit, end quote, a popular practice in more extreme charismatic circles and in churches led by modern-day apostles and prophets, including Bethel. Presentation of the rules was followed by hysterical laughter, much staggering about, and a few people falling to the ground. Some people moved about the room, giggling and placing their hands firmly on the shoulders of those who were seated so as to impart to others their experience of holy laughter. Calling for a semblance of order, the teacher asked everyone to stand up and placed their hands in front of them, fingers flexed as if gripping a huge bottle. Drink it dry, he urged. It's heavenly wine. More laughter rippled through the room. He led the students in reciting an invitation. Come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. And then later she writes, periodically the teacher would sense it was time for another drink. He would urge the group to take another swig of their heavenly wine. One middle-aged woman, she writes, near, near me lay back against her chair as if passed out for much of the class. Was it possible to get too much of the Spirit? Well, she writes of this experience on, the particular, on this particular day. The class was being taught how to prophesy, how to receive personal messages from God to give to other people. Four volunteers who had never publicly prophesied before were called to the platform to be, quote-unquote, activated. In churches like Bethel, activation exercises are used to trigger unused supernatural gifts that dwell deep within a Christian. Each volunteer was told to 
select from the people in the room someone they didn't know. They were to prophesy to that person. All they had to do was say whatever words popped into their minds. If you don't know what to say, just start talking and you'll get there, the teacher told them. During the exercise, students were assured that they need not be afraid of making mistakes while learning to prophesy. Missing it was part of the process. At one point, my table leader, Holly writes, led a smaller group discussion. He told those seated at the table with me, if you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, who cares? And then I'll end this, this introduction with this thought here. Eventually, she writes, one of the volunteers began her first ever attempt to prophesy. She said she felt that God had given her two pieces of information that would identify the person God would have her to prophesy to. He gave her the name Anthony and the date Ju July 17th. Does that name mean, mean anything to anybody, she said, looking around the room of about 60 or 70 people. Only awkward silence. After a few moments, a young man spoke up. My birthday is July 17th. From somewhere in the room, someone called out the question we were all thinking. Is your name Anthony? <laughs> no, it's Xavier. Yeah, undaunted by the mist, the young woman said, let's take July 17th. And then she gave Xavier a message that she had, she believed, received from God. And then she writes about how part of the instruction was the messages from God were only to be positive and life-affirming. No negative words, no judgmental words, no words of correction. In the class notes they had been given, it said, quote, true prophecy calls out the gold in people. I wonder what they would think about <laughs> prophecies in the Old Testament. There are prophecies through Scripture, and many of which are negative and correct, uh, call out sin. Wow. Okay, so here... We're in Joel 2, and I started with that example, that real-life example, where there are people who believe you can learn to prophesy. You can learn to take part in these spiritual sign gifts. And it just simply is not true. If God wants you to prophesy, speak in tongues, have visions, dreams, have divine knowledge, or something to that effect, it will happen. He will just make it happen by his power. It's not something you learn or conjure up on your own. So we're going to see that it's a, it's a work of God. It's not something that can be learned in a classroom. And I believe also that these sign gifts are temporary, and we'll see that as well in this message. But if you'll look with me, Joel 2, beginning at verse 28... And we'll read to the end of the chapter. 
Follow along as I read. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Then your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire, and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in, in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. All right, so we're, we're actually going to just focus on verses 28 and 29. Next time we will finish out the chapter and work into the next. But we see tonight the coming Holy Spirit. And as we've been looking at in this prophecy from Joel, he gives it around 830 to 825 B.C. to the Israelites who were half-hearted in their devotion. They had lukewarm faith. They, they had a new king, Josiah. No, King Joash, excuse me. King Joash in the, in the north, Jehu in the south, in Judah. But they were just not really living for God as they should. And so God allowed a swarm of locusts to come in and totally devastate the land. And then the famine and drought that com compiled on that. And then, that's chapter 1, and they were to repent and come back to God. Chapter 2 talks about the, the day of the Lord that was soon to come on them, not by locusts this time, but by the Assyrian army. By, as he says in 2 verse 20, the northerner from you, and this, this great army, this uh, chapter 2 verse 2, a great and powerful people like there's never been before. I mean, this Assyrian army would come in and devastate the, the people. This was, this would be a terrible thing. Yet, the, pr the purpose was for them to repent. And you see that in, in verses 12 and 13. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. So we see that this, the locusts came, the Assyrians came, and now we've been looking at, starting at chapter 2, verse 18, a restoration. God restores physically the food, the land, the animals. His discipline is not forever. Praise the Lord. Now we see we see in verse 28, verses 28 and 29, spiritual restoration, which for them would actually be about 800 years later. 
after this prophecy was given because it, this occurred on Pentecost. There in Acts chapter 2, at the beginning of the church, also in Jerusalem, in Israel. So let's go ahead and pray, ask for the Lord's blessing here. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you that we can profit from studying books like Joel and how you interact with your people, how you desire them to forsake their sin and to follow you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We praise you for the blessing the Holy Spirit is. And here as you have promised spiritual restoration to your people. We pray you give us wisdom and direction by your Spirit about the Holy Spirit. In this sermon, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Point one, the prophecy. We see the prophecy and he's here in verses 28 and 29. The Holy Spirit will be poured out, letter A, poured out on all flesh. Poured out on all flesh. Up to this point, who had the Holy Spirit been poured out on? Well, on certain people. For a limited time to accomplish a specific task. The Holy Spirit would, it was... the pouring out was temporary it was for for a purpose and as I got looking into this more deeply I didn't realize how many people had God's Holy Spirit in the Old Testament many many people and so we're going to look at some of those examples right now so, and, and the point here is to to draw out how amazing this prophecy from Joel is that there's a time coming when all flesh will have the Holy Spirit poured out on them, not just a select few. But look at Exodus 35. Exodus 35. And here you have the Israelites in the wilderness wanderings. In Exodus 35, beginning at verse 30, then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill and with intelligence, with knowledge and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. So there's the first, Bezalel. And then we have another one, verse 34, and he has inspired him to teach both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. So here we have Oholiab and Bezalel, these people chosen by God to, to craft the, you know, the things needed for the tabernacle, the walls, the designs, the curtains, the utensils, everything. Wow, amazing. Go over to Numbers 11. 
Numbers 11, starting at verses 16. I'm going to start at verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for, for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, from uh, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. Verse 17, And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you. So here we see Moses had the Holy Spirit. And put it on them, the 70 elders. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you. So that you may not bear it yourself alone. So here Moses and then these 70 elders. Look down at verse 25. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Wow. And then, then you have uh, verse 26, two more. Now two men remained in the camp. One named Eldad, and the other named Medad. And the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered. But they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. Wow, so here you have Moses, the 70 elders, Eldad, Medad, but plus also in the group you, you, also, you also had Bezalel and Oholiab. Moses' desire, he just pours out his heart here. Well, let's, c let's continue on the text. Numbers eleven twenty-seven. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, here's Moses' heart, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Wow. It, that, that's his desire. Everybody would have the spirit and prophesy. Now, it, it wasn't for all people at this point. And you have several others we could look. For sake of time, we're just going to continue on here. But some they had jotted down. You have Balaam, who had the Holy Spirit. Joshua. Othniel, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson, several times, King Saul. Then, when David was anointed king, the spirit was taken from Saul and given to David. And Saul was given a distressing spirit. And then, even in the New Testament, let's look at a New Testament reference before the church began Luke chapter 2 here you have the setting where Jesus is just eight days old taken to the temple and we see here in, in Luke 2 25 now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon for this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel and get this, at the end of the verse, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So, 
we see that the Holy Spirit was given to select individuals. Now, why was it given to Simeon? Well, we know that as Mary and Joseph and little baby Jesus were at the temple, here Simeon prophesies. He prophesies with the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for, your gl and for glory to your people, Israel. Wow. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Wow. This is amazing. Now, back to Joel 2.28. This is around 200 years after David and Joel's prophecy was that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. Now, most certainly it is all the Israelites, I mean, those who would believe in God. But also, I mean, I mean look at specifically who it says in verse 28 there, your sons and your daughters, your old men, your young men. Okay, seems as if those are Israelites, Jews. But then you come to 29, it says even on the male and female servants. And those would likely be Gentiles. So Jews and Gentiles would have the Spirit. So that's the, it's, it's poured out on all flesh. And then we have the prophecies. It says there, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Now what is prophesying? What is prophecy? It is receiving a divine message from God and delivering it to the people. That is prophecy. It could be forth-telling, telling, explaining what is going on or what has happened. It could be foretelling, predicting the future, not pre predicting like hoping it will happen, but revealing what will happen. That's what I mean to say. And then letter C, you have dreams. Your old men shall dream dreams. This is God's revelation given in pictorial form, pictorial form while asleep. And several in the, throughout scripture, received dreams. Believers and unbelievers alike. God reveals his will in mysterious ways in Genesis 20. King Abimelech, who had taken Sarah and was about to sleep with her, was told in a dream not to do that. That he was a dead man. He also had dreams with Jacob and Laban, Joseph, of course, Pharaoh, the cupbearer and baker of Egypt, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, there's so many dreams. Joseph in the New Testament, that's how he learned that Mary was with child of the Holy Spirit, was through a dream. The wise men, as well, told not to go back to Herod by a dream. Now, you also have visions. It says here, your young men shall see visions. Now, a vision is similar to a dream, but the timing is different. Your, your conscious state is different. Dreams are God's revelation in pictorial form while asleep, and visions are God's revelation in pictorial form 
while awake. When you're awake, you see some sort of vision. Here's a very important verse. Jot this down. Numbers 12, verse 6. Talking to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, God said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. So he works in mysterious and miraculous ways. Dreams, visions, prophecy on all flesh. And then we have the fulfillment. We have the fulfillment. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 1, to the New Testament. Acts chapter 1, and here you have just about 40 days after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And you have the 120 in the upper room, the 12 disciples, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the siblings of Jesus, and many other followers of Christ. 120, they're having this prayer meeting. Acts one fourteen, and all these were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. It seems as if Joseph, the father, has died by this point, not being included. Verse 15, in those days Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of the persons was in all about 120. But it goes on, so... Here they're waiting, and it will actually be another 10 days. They get to Pentecost, starting at Acts chapter 2. Pentecost literally means 50th, and it's 50 days after Passover. That's what Pentecost is, 50 days after Passover. And Jesus died on the cross on Passover. So here you have 50 days later. Look at chapter 2, and this is letter A. Under point to the fulfillment, letter A, the tongues. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here we see the Holy Spirit came. Joel's prophecy was fulfilled. This is about 800 years later, almost to the year, 830 B.C. to 30 A.D. Now, they're filled with the Spirit, they prophesy. Like so many of those examples in the Old Testament. When the Spirit came, they prophesied. What did they prophesy? Well, they were speaking in tongues, which are, it's not just gibberish or sounds. They are actual foreign languages. That's what tongues are. Let's continue on. Acts 2, verse 5. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. Because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were, they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking 
Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So we see right there in verse 11. These tongues were for a specific purpose. They were prophesying in these languages the mighty works of God. Look at the response in verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, saying to one another What does this mean? Wow. What a sight to behold. What a, what a message to hear in all these languages. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be part of that 120 in the upper room praying and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is poured out miraculously and you begin speaking from your own mouth a foreign language you never knew. You had never learned. It just comes out declaring it boldly. Amazing. Well, some were, they were all amazed, but like we were reminded this morning, whenever a work of God happens, there will always be detractors, those who mock. And you see here in verse 13, but others mocking said. They're filled with new wine, or they're drunk. They're just drunk. Then we have letter B, the sermon. Letter B, the sermon. And Peter, really the spokesman, the lead pastor of the twelve, he stands up and defends the work of God. Verse 14, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, and then look at this, his reasoning. What, what is the reason he gives that why these people are not drunk, why he's not drunk? Verse 15 ends, since it is only the third hour of the day. His reasoning is, it's only nine in the morning. Peter, <laughs> Peter, he's often putting his foot in his mouth and just not thinking things through as he should. That's not really the best defense. It's only nine in the morning. No, I, I think a better thing Peter could have said would have been, hey, these are not drunk, as you suppose, because how many drunk people have you ever heard miraculously speak in a foreign language? The answer, of course, would be none. This is a work of God. And then he continues, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, Peter didn't know this was going to happen. He had memorized, as so many Jews had it in that day, much of the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit, who is now in him, for just a, a matter of minutes was helping him to recall for this sermon 
this prophecy from Joel, and he's just, he quotes Joel 2, 28 to 32, right here, in this, this commotion of people. It's amazing. It's a challenge to us. How well do you know Scripture? We're to memorize it. Verse 17, he quotes Joel, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit. So, we have it here. We will stop right there. Later on, verses 19 to 21 is actually the coming tribulation. We'll look at that next time. But here, the, the only difference I see when comparing the two, that we shouldn't look too closely, because remember, he's just quoting this from memory. Unprepared. But Joel 2.28 says, And it shall come to pass afterward. Here, Peter in Acts 2.17 says, And in the last days it shall be. So he's interpreting afterward as being the last days. Now, when, when are the last days? Obviously, we're living in the last days or the end times right now, but the last days, according to Hebrews 1.2, is, well, look at what Hebrews 1.2 says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, the writer of Hebrews says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. When Jesus came to earth as a baby, when we remember this Christmas story, even now in the Christmas season, his birth, inaugurated and began the last days. And we still, some 2,000 years later, are living in the last days. It shall be, and this happened. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, we're going to look here for just a little bit at why these sign gifts, and we, we began with this, with this illustration from Bethel Church, why are sign gifts temporary? Go to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter. What a wonderful chapter. But you come to verse 8. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Love never ends, Paul writes. And we, and we agree with that, right? Love never ends as long as we live. All the way to the end of time, to the second coming of Christ, love is to continue. We would, we would wholeheartedly agree with that, I'm sure. Now, verse 8 continues. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
Then he continues, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Okay, so we see here, I believe very clearly, that the sign gifts, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit that are prophesied, even in Joel, the prophecies, which would include tongues, as well as visions, dreams, knowledge, all these things will end. They were for a specific period, for a specific purpose, to confirm the apostolic message and the message of the church. It says there, as for prophecies, they will pass away. Now we've already looked in comparison. Love does not end. It continues. Continuationists with spiritual gifts, they believe that all these gifts remain active. They continue until the coming of Christ. Well, I don't know how they interpret that in verse 8 because it very distinctly says they will pass away, they will cease, it will pass away. They interpret verse 10 when the perfect, when that which is perfect comes, they see that as the second coming of Christ. But I believe that is not the correct way to look at that. It's actually the completed canon of Scripture. It's the Word of God. And who is the last living apostle? John. John was the last living apostle. When he died around 95 AD, the miraculous sign gifts of tongues, prophecy, visions, dreams, those ended. They ceased. The church had been established and been going for around 70 years at that point, 65 or 70 years, well-established, thriving, and no, no longer were those miraculous things needed. They will cease. They will pass away. There is definitely a distinction from the love that doesn't end and prophecies, tongues, and knowledge passing away. So, here to wrap this up, I want to ask you a couple questions. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Here, this amazing prophecy from Joel, the coming Holy Spirit, it will be poured out on all flesh. Has it been poured out on you? Well, hopefully, you know that it has, and you experience a blessing every day, but here's how you can know. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior? Do you believe he is Lord and have asked him to save your soul? If you have, at that moment of salvation, you received the Holy Spirit. You are permanently indwelt from that day forward. You cannot lose it. What a tremendous blessing. So trust in Christ as Savior. Don't miss out on this tremendous blessing of the Holy Spirit poured out in your life. And are you listening to God's revelation? Now, there are many today in our world who are not content with the revelation of God's word. 
which was, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit through the human writers. But they seek visions, dreams, tongues, prophecy, all, these, all this new revelation, not content with the perfect, the Word of God that we have. Are you listening to God's revelation? Meaning, are you in God's Word? Are you in Scripture, reading it, studying it, meditating on it, memorizing it, living it? So trust Christ as Savior and get in the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this time together. We thank you for the look at the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the blessing of the Holy Spirit poured out on all flesh. Pray that everyone here knows Christ as Savior and that we are spending quality time in the Word of God. We thank you for your perfect plan and for the sending of the Spirit, even the miraculous sign gifts for, for a time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.